We're back. We're back. We finally made it to the other side of the zombie apocalypse. That's right, and everything's over now. There's no problems at well, all. Well, there's still some <laughs> shuffling around in the streets, That's but right. we just do our best to avoid them. That's right. We've been told six feet. So far, it's worked. Yeah, so success. <laughs> I think there's a whole robot in there. I've never seen anything like it before. Can we get him a fight? He's a sparring bot. Built to take a lot of hits, but never dishing out any real punishment. His name is Adam. Get him a fight. Can we? We'll see. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm Hannah. And this is More is More, a bad movie podcast. Where today we're watching Real Steel with Hugh Jackman, Evangeline Lilly, other people. Some kid. Yeah, a kid. James Reborn. Was that the guy, the, the crusty old guy? uncle? Oh. Oh, no, Ooh. Kevin Durant. Okay, because he looked real familiar, but I didn't know his name. He's one of those guys, you see him everywhere, and honestly, I love Kevin Durant, even when he's playing a, a hack villain. I didn't love him in this movie. No, I didn't either, but I, yeah. he was, he's playing a child's villain, so. <laughs> it was, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. It's based on a Twilight Zone episode called Steel by Richard Math Richard Matheson. Right, so that's the guy who wrote the book that I Am Legend was based on. So I was surprised. This is a this is like a feel good kids movie sort of, but uh, this movie didn't know what it was. <laughs> let's go with feel good kids movie. That's how they ended it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that. So it's surprising that it was based on a teleplay by Richard Matheson, but then I, Twilight Zone makes more sense. They just took all of the weird stuff out, I guess, or the, all the twilight Pretty much, out. yeah. They took they they didn't have someone at the end be like, oh no, my robot's broken. I'll dress up as a robot and then go box in its place. <laughs> yeah. Was that what the episode about? Yeah, that's how it ends. That's weird. Can't imagine that as a Twilight Zone episode. To be fair, I haven't seen that many episodes of it. Yeah, he uh, he survives, but he gets really badly hurt. Uh, but he has enough money to fix his robot at the end. So, an inspiring story. Yeah, kind of. But, like, at what price? He was probably pretty badly hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, though, to imagine it at that time, because it would have been a guy in a robot suit fighting another guy who was yeah. ostensibly not dressed in a robot suit, but a robot, but it was really just the same yeah. thing. <laughs> that is funny. It was also really funny having watched this after doing um, Over the Top. Over the Top. I because it's, exa it's the inverse, but it's exactly the same thing. Right, but these are the same movies, except it made you realize how skillfully Over the Top was done. Never thought I'd say that. I know. But it's true. Yeah, it's just the inverse, because in this one, Hugh Jackman doesn't want his kid. Yes. And he's forced to spend the summer with him. Yes. Okay, so Hugh Jackman, his name is Charlie in this. Charlie drives a big truck through the twilight, parks next to a carnival. By the way, at this point, I'm like, oh, this is the way a decent movie would open. What am I watching? I know, right? You, it starts out, and you're like, okay, there's some real funding here, and then it nosedives immediately. Um, he wakes up the next morning fumbling around for his phone amid the beer bottles on the floor. Most upsettingly, he starts taking a drink out of one of them, like a flat open beer from the night before. So, By the way, he's not portrayed as being an alcoholic. No, this was such a lazy, like, look, this guy lives a terrible life. Yeah. 
and he's a little bit of a scumbag. It's a call from one of his many creditors, which he skillfully avoids. But through the open door, a little girl spies his robot, sharper eyes than the camera has, (laughs) and wants to see it. So it's uh, this robot that is a little bit taller than a man. Not transformer size. No. But they're bigger than a person. Bigger than a person. Um, And they want to take a picture with it. He's like, "Uh, five bucks. So you know he's not friendly with kids. Also, he's broke. So it makes sense. Just out for whatever he can get. Exactly. So this is a small town rodeo that he's at. And he is there to have his robot fight a bull? I don't even understand. What the what? Yeah. This was so... And he's complaining because the bull is bigger than he was told it would be. By like like, 1,200 pounds. Right. And I'm like, you have a robot, though. Yeah, this seems really unfair to the bull. It 100% seems like the bull (laughs) is going to die. And I don't understand how a robot versus a bull would actually be a worthwhile thing to see. I don't understand how anybody wants to watch that. I don't understand how anybody wants to watch a bull get pummeled by a robot. Yeah, I feel bad for the bull. Because, okay, now in this fight, spoiler alert, (laughs) uh, the bull wins. But what was the other outcome? That the bull would have gotten just killed? Yeah. That's horrible. Also, what a weird way to be like, okay, so if you're really down on your luck in the robo-leagues, <laughs> you have to fight animals. What? Well, especially because the way the guy sets up the fight, too. Everyone's real excited about it. and that, you know, I'm Ooh, like, They're losing their minds. These people, he's showing it as like, you can't see the big fights, the big professional robot versus robot fights. So I brought a robot here to fight a bull. To fight an animal. Yeah, that lives in slavery, and we just make him mad all day, every day. So let's have fun. At least we get to see Kevin Durand. You may recognize Kevin Durand as being a super tall man with a kind of goofy face who generally plays someone who is either a villain or at least unlikable. It's hard to pick him out from stuff, but once you notice him, you see him around a lot. Um, And he is running this rodeo, and he is a big bravado-having jerk to Charlie. Apparently, he successfully beat Charlie up once before. And it's like a huge, it's like the highlight of his life. So you can't stop talking about it. But this scene is where I learned how tall Hugh Jackman is. Hugh Jackman is 6'2". Oh. I had no idea he was that tall. Based on the Wolverine stuff that he played, I thought he was like 5'8". Well, because he's always portrayed as being shorter when he's Wolverine. Stocky, short and stocky. Exactly. They, not su- short, average height. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were successful. Um, I, I thought he was. But, you know, in things like Les Mis, I feel like he always looked taller. I think you're right. And I just, but Wolverine was the first thing so many people saw him in. Right. Um, that, that, I think, just stuck for me. But I knew for a fact that Kevin Durand is 6'6". So I was like, wait a minute. Is he standing on a box or is he super tall? Also, I'm glad that you just knew that off the top of your head. I know a shocking amount of heights of actors. <laughs> it's very important to me for some reason. <laughs> Charlie makes a bet with Kevin Durand, whose name I did not and will not learn, <laughs> for 20 grand on his robot. And we've already learned that he is at least 50 grand in debt. 20 grand, though, that's a lot of money. That's so much to just be like, okay, sure. And Part of me hopes that all of his debts came from stupid bets on his own robots. I know well, they didn't. For but me, that would I understand. Be yeah, for me, I understand why he took the bet, but I don't understand why the other guy did. 
especially because he said, are you good for it? And there was a huge pause <laughs> and Hugh Jackman never answers. And he's like, okay, I'll take that bet. <laughs> and then he's like, and then he basically just says, if you don't pay, I'll beat you up again. Like, okay. Maybe he was just looking for an excuse to beat him up. Right. Guaranteed, this is not the first time Hugh Jackman's been beat up. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, Charlie, not Charlie. Yeah. Hugh Jackman's a wonderful person, and right. he I'm seems, sure he's never been beat up. He seems like a delight. Yeah. Uh, who's fairly grounded. So, th- we start the fight, and the robot, like, you're kind of like, how is this going to work? Oh, it's just like a regular fight. The robot punches the bull in the face. Oh, I felt, I, nah, I know. I didn't enjoy it. So, justice for bull. I'm glad he wins. Yeah. Um, Guys, I'm not an animal rights activist, and this still made this me was, very uncomfortable. This was mean. <laughs> So, luckily, the bull's completely fine. Not because the robot was fake, and this is a movie, but because he was such a good fighter. Uh, (laughs) And he gets the upper hoof when Hugh Jackman is distracted by a hottie in the stands, like a dum-dum. And this is when you're like, maybe he's not just unlucky. Maybe he's a real idiot. (laughs) Yeah. So, the robot gets gored and totally destroyed. And as Charlie, after the fight, tries to run out before his bet can be collected on, two suits walk up and inform him that his ex-girlfriend, who he hasn't seen in ten years, is dead. And his 11-year-old son that he had with this woman, who is also presumably not seen for ten years, is now his responsibility. So, we're in a court in Texas, although they didn't shoot any of this in Texas. It was all shot in Michigan, so that other parts of it could be shot in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Which maybe explains why it seems like fully half the soundtrack is Eminem. Gosh, yeah, he just kept popping up. I know. Yeah. So, in court, a slightly older woman and a James Rayborn are arguing to the judge that they are wealthy and can take care of the child best. Which, honestly, from looking at it, yeah, agreed. Well, yeah, so here's where, yeah, we get the custody hearing. They've also been in his life Right, that's the real thing, is this is not only a super irresponsible man, but he doesn't even know his son. And he doesn't care about him even when this happens. This woman genuinely cares about this kid a lot. That, to me, and the fact that they know him, they really want to take care of him, that to me is like open and shut case. Oh, totally. And so the other weird thing is that Clearly, this is not somebody who's been paying child support this entire time. Like, he's not yeah, in this kid's life mm-hmm. at all. Right. He ha- seems to have no paternal right. rights. He- so what I don't understand is, I understand they're like, well, in the state of Texas, it always blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't understand why the woman, I know there's people that, you know, don't make wills or whatever because they're never mm-hmm. going to die and all this. But it seems weird to me that this woman never made a will that at least put stipulated where her child would be. Right. That's strange, especially considering how rich her sister and sister's husband are. Yeah. It seems like they would have at least insisted that something like this happened yeah. because they would have thought about this. Right. If something happens to you, don't you want your kid to be raised by us? Right. And the fact that he hasn't been paying child support and he hasn't been hit with a bunch of back child support implies to me that he might have signed away his parental rights when he left. Yeah. So this whole thing doesn't make sense for another reason that we'll go into in a second. Okay, I hope it's the same reason I have, because this really bothered me. Probably. So, Charlie rolls in, and he's like, uh, am I late? I'm just here to sign away my rights to my son. 
his ex's sister is super mad that he doesn't care about his son at all, but I don't know why you'd be hostily jibing him in court about it because you want him to sign away his rights. You want this kid. Yeah. Why are you being like this? Even though it would be infuriating to watch a father not care about his child like that. But again, you've known this for 10 years. Yeah, exactly. It's not new. Yeah. Um, it's just the first time you could say it to his face. So Charlie's going to sign away his rights, but then he spies the huge diamond on her ring and hatches a plan. He's like, I need to call my attorney and steps outside. <laughs> outside, Marvin comes up. That's the dreams reborn. And is like, look, my wife really it wants to adopt this kid and I'm open to it. <laughs> but... We're going on a trip this summer to Italy to see a very old friend. I don't want the kid with us. Will you take him for the summer? And he's like, 75000 to adopt for you, me to sign my rights away and you to adopt the kid. And he's like, what? What are you saying? And he's like, well, I want to, I want you to take him for the summer. And he's like, oh, 100000 He's like, well, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, fine. But the threat that he makes is insane. He's acting like he can stipulate that the kid go into the foster system and not be adopted by his aunt and uncle. Right, which once you sign away your rights, you don't get a say in... Right, so I think that there are some situations in which you can stipulate, like, but they can't be adopted by these people. It's not when you haven't seen the kid for 10 years, don't know them at all, and don't have anything to offer the situation. Like, you're not even in the situation. But also, I think you'd have to be, have a credible reason well, as to why. That's the thing. You'd have to have a reason. You've even been here for 10 years. The judge is never going to accept that. Yeah. It, it wouldn't have mattered at all. So that was not actually my... I didn't even notice that when that went by. <laughs> that wasn't my reason for being really upset with the situation. Gotcha. My reason for being upset is this kid's uncle who has spent time with him doesn't care <laughs> enough about him to be like, this kid that my wife wants to adopt. I know. Well, I don't know if you noticed this, but he's like a real weird old rich guy. So he, at one point he's wearing an actual cravat. <laughs> Just like... In his everyday life. <laughs> I think my my real problem with this is, you know, it was such a lazy screenwriting device. No. What? I know. It was so unbelievably lazy. There, are, I'm sure there were other hackneyed ways you could have arranged this situation to happen without this being it. Because... Clearly what they want is to force the father and son to spend time together over the summer, but still have the dramatic, I can't keep you, you have to go live with someone else, ending where somebody's having to make a choice about where their loyalties lie. Yeah. The only way, apparently, they could think of doing this was by having their aunt and uncle really want to take a vacation. Because now I'm like, well, this kid is in a terrible situation no matter what. The people who are going to adopt him, because the aunt puts up no fight to this. When the aunt is told, yeah. she's not told about the deal, but she's told, like, he just wants to spend the summer with the kid. Yeah. And when we get back from Italy, we'll take him and he'll sign away all the rights. And the aunt's like, great. The aunt's not like, well, hold the boat. I don't want to leave this kid with a father he's never seen in 10 years who's living a super shady lifestyle. I don't want to leave him yeah. alone in the country where we're gone in Italy. No, yeah. she's just like, great. Well, and the fact that they have a hundred grand to just pull out uh, without, he doesn't even have to tell his wife that he's doing this. Yeah. She'll never notice. 
Um, the fact that they have that kind of money seems like they absolutely could have hired a nanny. Yeah. Or had wealthy friends, like something else. This was not their only choice. And you definitely, they could have even hired a nanny to go to Italy with them and take care of the kid. Absolutely, they could have. Or they could have hired a nanny to take care of him while he's with his dad. Yeah. Anything. So, I just really didn't like this situation because I felt like, I mean, aside from the fact that it was super lazy, it also meant that I didn't feel like the kid was better off with his aunt and uncle. I mean, obviously he was better off in the sense that he was at least be provided for, but I didn't feel like he was emotionally better off with his aunt and uncle. You feel like he's better off with his aunt. I felt like his aunt really cares about him. His aunt is going to be a real parent figure and will actually make sure that stuff happens and cares about him above other things. I did not feel like that for the uncle. So, Charlie gets half now and then half when they get back. So, he's got $50,000. Now we meet Evangeline Lilly, named Bailey, who runs a gym that Charlie works out of. I don't understand why you would need a gym for your fighting robots. Right? Like, you train robots. We find out later it used to be an actual boxing gym, and not for robot boxing, but now there's only robot boxing, so... I guess she made a transition. And Charlie, I guess, is her only customer? It seems that way. Because <laughs> um, it's always empty. Right. Well, and her whole deal is like, I can't pay my bills because you haven't paid rent. Like, I need your rent. Which I would understand if he was one of, like, five people that worked out of there and she needed all the rent. He's the only no, person. only like, him. She, yeah. So weird. Exactly. So... She's like, hey, yeah, there's someone here waiting to sell you a robot. How are you going to afford that? $45,000. He's like, oh, don't you worry. Max gets dropped off at... Max is his son. Gets dropped off at the gym. And Bailey seems to be awestruck by the resemblance between them. There's no resemblance. There's no resemblance. And it'd be weird if there was. Yeah, give it ten years. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So... Max guesses that the money Charlie is waving around in front of him for the robot is from Marvin and is hurt that he was basically sold and then quickly pivots to demanding half of that money. And it was so funny because Charlie is surprised that the kid is upset about this. Yeah. Everything that... When the kid has normal emotions, Charlie's always like, what's happening? I just can't believe that he knows his uncle well enough to know that he paid him for custody. That's a weird jump to make, yeah. it seems like. And they, then to make the assumption that him being there for the summer was part of it and all that. It's really strange. The kid is way too cynical. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> uh, so they unlock the Japanese robot, Noisy Boy. And it turns out the kid is super into robot boxing and is really up on the big fights. He knows a lot about this robot. This robot responds to voice commands, um, and I can immediately tell it's because there are going to be a lot of long fight scenes, (laughs) and they're going to try to keep us engaged in them. They didn't. They did not. And also, well, we'll talk about that later. (laughs) So, he's, they're they're all excited about this. It's a really good robot. Better than, definitely, way better than the one he had before. And he's going to go on the road and start some fights. And Max is like, uh, I got your keys and I'm going to drop them down this grate unless you take me with you. Which is really easy to go back on your word with if you're an adult. Yeah. But 
that doesn't occur to Charlie somehow. So my thing also, is that he was, was going to leave her with yeah, leave him with Bailey. He was going to leave him with Bailey without having told Bailey previously it that he had like a son it. and he wanted her to take care of him for the summer. I know she was shocked. She was shocked that he had a son and she just found out. And like, I doubt that. Whatever. Because she's also surprised when he's like, you have to stay here for the summer, and Bailey's like, uh, and he just, they're having an argument, so they don't yeah. dwell on it. But yeah, he didn't tell yeah, her. I know. Uh, he's horrible. Well, yeah, and unrealistically horrible, that's, you know? That's the thing, like, it's in every single way that you could be. In real life, guys like this, they don't change. When they're 40 years old, and this is what they're like, they're that bad, they're not going to change over two months with a kid. No, and also, I do think that he would be smart enough to lay the groundwork for, you know, my kid's mother just died, and I can't take care of him, and I really need you to help me out for a while. And then it would Absolutely. be the whole, I just need you to watch him for a week, and then you yeah. just never come back all summer. Like, that would be the way you would do it. Exactly. guys. Because like he's that, been doing this long enough to know how. Guys like that know how to use sympathy. Yeah. And manipulate people. Yeah, for sure. Max gets what he wants, and he's on the road with Charlie. Which would be the other option, I would think, would probably be your go-to, would just be you would take care of the kid, and you would just ignore him most of the time. Yeah, exactly. A lot of parents are very neglectful. Exactly. It's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> so Anthony Mackey, also didn't learn his name and will not do so, <laughs> runs and announces for a robot fighting ring. It's like an underground robot fighting ring. No rules. Charlie insists on his robot fighting a big name against Max's advice. So, which really, again, you just see all the horrible decisions he's making. And you really wonder, how have you been doing this for so long? Yeah. It's impossible because he makes choices that are comically terrible. Because this is the first fight he's ever done with Noisy Boy. They didn't even test him out in the gym. No. No, no, we get training montages with robots, which is another thing. <laughs> but in in with later robots, and with this one, he's like, nope, just give me the biggest robot you got, and I want to fight him. <laughs> right. He hasn't even he doesn't even know what kind of real condition. I mean, I think they ran some sort of diagnostic on him, but they yeah, don't they, really they worked. Right. <laughs> they don't really know anything about him. He's like, I want the biggest robot you have because this robot won some championships a while back. Yeah, exactly. He's like, he can definitely take anyone in here. And it's like, do you understand that he's a machine and he can only do what his handlers can do? And you bought him on the black market for $45,000. Right. And he hasn't been in the big leagues for a while. Yeah. But he gets what he wants. Noisy Boy is fighting Midas, who confusingly has on either a Centurion or Spartan helmet. So there you go. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, because that would have been... And it should have been gold, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Weird name. Weird, <laughs> yeah. weird situation. So here's where we get the first fight scene with voice activation, where I am super frustrated by the number of side conversations that happen during the fight by the person who's supposed to be voice activating the robot. It's so many. Because I'm like, by the way, your robot's been getting pummeled right now while you're telling your kids something. It's, it's wild. He's so bad at doing this. He also, as soon as the fight turns against him, seems to be immediately flustered and have no idea what to do. He just totally freezes up. Yes. Also, I have to say, I don't think there's like a gamer out there who would rather have voice-activated games than control 
operated games because you can work faster with a controller than you can with your voice. That's the thing. And when you've been used to doing the other one for years, you can't just make that transition immediately. It's not immediately easier. Especially because this is a completely new robot. He honestly doesn't even know if all the things that he will tell it are programmed in or are programmed in the way he wants them to be. Exactly. And he actually runs across that problem of he has some combos that are preloaded, but he doesn't really know what they are. Doesn't know what to do, exactly. Oh, gosh. So all this does is serve to make me wonder how Charlie has stayed in the robot leagues for this song. I understand that he's an idiot, like that he's a con man and an idiot, but normally he should be better than this. Yeah, he, because here's what happens. The robot ends up defeated with one arm and no head, and the guy is like, well, we can't fix it. Throw it in the garbage. We'll save the voice activation thing. And uh, that's it. Guess he wasn't a very good robot. And it's like, oh, wow, that's 45 grand and you just got nothing for it. And you threw it in the trash after one day? Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Nobody's that bad at yeah. having a robot. And if you're that much in debt, you would take smaller fights that were that paid. I mean, Absolutely. not that you wouldn't be willing to gamble, but you wouldn't be the one that was like, I just want the biggest, baddest robot you have. When your own robot could be completely crushed by it. That's the thing. And that's these are like the actions of someone who has a gambling addiction, which I don't think that he does have that. He just makes terrible decisions and is crushed by debt. Yes. Yeah. So it is weird, especially later when we see some stuff later on when he's counseling his son and things where it's like, well, I understand people will give advice they don't necessarily take, but like just the complete black and white of either being the most cautious person in life or the most reckless is bizarre. Yeah. Exactly. This is the kind of decision you would only make if you were if you were operating a robot you understood well enough. Yeah. I was just I don't I didn't <laughs> Yeah. By the way, all of this stuff that's happening, this is all still first act stuff as far as I'm concerned. I know it totally is. So I think that Whoever was writing this was like, well, really, it's about the father-son relationship, which it's not. But it's really about the father-son relationship. So as long as the son winds up in the father's custody, you know, as long as they meet, that's the end of the first act. It is not, because this is also overwhelmingly a sports drama. And we are still in the first act of the sports drama story. And I am sick of it at this point. Absolutely it is, because we don't even know how it figures into it yet. The The stakes don't even happen until, like three quarters of the way through the movie. And also, when they got Noisy Boy, I was like, oh, this is the the end of the first act with it. You got the robot that's going to be your robot in the movie. And then the robot gets destroyed. And I'm like, what am I watching? I know. How long is this freaking movie going to (laughs) be? Two hours and seven minutes. Yeah. Which is way too long, by the way. So the fact that he has another robot that gets destroyed, it's so unnecessary. It should have been one robot that got destroyed. I know. Total. That's all we need to see what a bad, reckless, terrible robot boxer he is. But no, no, no. We needed this to see how responsible the sun is and how the sun has what it takes. But what I mean is, that means the sun should have come into this story sooner. The first robot shouldn't have been destroyed and dumb cow rodeo. I 100% agree. It was a waste of our time. Kevin Durand or no. And then they try and salvage it by bringing Kevin Durand back later in the movie. And I'm like, no, Which you was... still could have combined these two storylines and compressed the beginning by a lot. Like, that was yeah. insane how long that took. The worst part is, this is with them having cut scenes out. Can you even imagine? Yeah, because honestly, it probably should have opened with 
some fight he loses. Mm-hmm. He has to repair the robot. He gets interrupted by the custody battle. Yes. Yes. Then he takes the kid, uses whatever money he gets to repair a ro- his existing robot. Mm-hmm. And then this fight happens, and the robot's completely destroyed, and now he has no prospects and this kid on his hands. That would have easily gotten everything we needed to know about this. It also sort of raises the stakes, because at this point, you're like, well, this guy throws away robots every day, it seems like. Yeah. So there's nothing new, so it doesn't seem like he's at rock bottom. No, and he's not likable at all. There's no, And he's being played by Hugh Jackman, one of the most likable people alive. And there's nothing likable about he's this not, character. He's not likable. If this mm-hmm. character died in the next five minutes, I would be fine with it. If he had died at, I have to say, if he had died at any point in the movie, I don't know that I would have cared. Yeah. I'm talking the last five minutes, too. There's never a point in this movie, even at the very end, where I like this character or feel like he is in any way a redeemed good person that I would want to spend any time with. No, he's the definition of failing upward. Like, like, yeah. he didn't earn anything. Yeah. So, Max correctly says, no, you just didn't know how to work the robot, and so you had no chance of winning. He says, that's what you do, right? Anything you don't need, you just throw it away. Apparently, yes. That was a very accurate observation. And then Charlie's like, I can't believe you threw my human, human trafficking in my face. That was yesterday. How dare you? <laughs> He's so incredulous, which is so funny. <laughs> so I guess he says, well, fine, let's try to fix it. So they break into a a parts yard at night to steal parts, which has zero security. Not even a robot dog. No, they don't even have to um, like get in and out quickly because the kid stays all night. Yeah. So they're going to steal parts to rebuild Noisy Boy. They talk about the history of robot boxing and... That Charlie used to be a boxer, but audiences wanted more carnage than they could have with humans, so they switched to robots. It is bonkers, by the way, that boxing was completely replaced within that time period. Yeah, that's... I I find it very hard to believe that nobody wanted to watch humans anymore. Because there's stakes that are present in human boxing that aren't present in robot boxing. And whatever you say about carnage... There's going to be more visceral carnage in a fight between two humans than a fight between two robots. That's the thing. There are other sports that you can watch for that. I don't think that that's what a boxing crowd is ever going to be going for. I would assume that the reason robot boxing became more popular wasn't because they wanted more carnage, but because like insurance was getting too high or they there were too many petitions about safety or things so they got replaced by robots in which case i would expect underground fighting to be done with humans yes exactly not just like robots are allowed to hit below the belt now yeah (laughs) oh wow exciting yeah who cares there shouldn't be any rules in robot boxing anyway i know right That's the point, right? More carnage? Yeah, you would think. But no, there's still a lot of rules. Which is why (laughs) the later fights that are more regulated and above board are pretty boring. Except when one robot tries to box another robot's ears, which doesn't work because they don't have ears. That was very (laughs) funny. So they're in this yard, and Max falls off a cliff? What was that? What was that thing that he fell off of? I have no idea. I don't understand. It was a huge diagonal slope. But, and you're like, well, is this whole yard going to fall apart at some point? But then, no, they knew about it because there's stairs going down there. I don't understand what it was supposed to be. The point is, 
right before he falls down into the really huge ravine, flying into nothingness, he gets caught by a robot arm sticking off the cliff. I mean, caught like his pants catch on the hand. Yeah. So Charlie runs down the stairs, and he pulls him up. And Max is like, I'm taking this robot because it saved my life. He cannot stop anthropomorphizing robots, and neither can the movie in a weird way. Yeah, this movie gets kind of confused on yes weather. So at a certain point, this movie forgets that it's either a sports drama about an underdog trying to make it to the top or a movie about a father and son bonding and thinks, well, I don't know, maybe I'm about a boy and his robot friend. Teaching his robot how to learn and love. Yeah. Because yeah, it kind of is about that, which is insane. I never even, they never even explain that to, at all. It never goes anywhere. It's no, just there. No, it and it doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. Because let me tell you, if robots aren't sentient creatures in this world, and all of a sudden they find one that seems to be somewhat sentient... That's your story. I mean, that's the whole story. I know, but it isn't. And then they prove that it definitely isn't about that because at the very end, in order for the robot to win, they actually turn off everything that makes it... Special. Special. So it's just... Oh, my gosh. This movie was so confused about what it was about. Oh, man, it really was. Really shockingly confused. Let me tell you, sports dramas... They're easy. Yeah. Have very specific beats that you need to hit. Father-son movies. Very specific beats that you need to hit. Yeah. This all could have been a perfectly fine, completely average movie that some people would have liked because they like this type of movie. Right. It even could have been a perfectly good example of it. Instead, what they did was just get completely confused about what story they were telling and not tell any of them well. In truly hilarious ways. Yeah. Uh, We'll see you later. Uh, So Charlie's like, fine, but you have to dig it up yourself, and then stomps off because he's insane. Um, Back at the gym, Bailey is looking at the parts that Charlie got for Noisy Boy, and she's like, there's nothing here. I can't put Noisy Boy back together. What is wrong with you? (laughs) She's like, look, I'm done. You should be done, too. Are you done with this yet? Come on, you're really bad at it. Let's just both be done. And he's like, well, what about the robot that Max brought in? And she's like, it's really early generation. It's a generation two. It's small, it doesn't have a lot of power, but they do manage to power the robot up. Max washes him off and names him Adam, A-T-O-M. It's so confusing. I thought it was Adam with a D. As did I for most of the movie yeah. until he writes it on the robot. He wants to fight Adam, but Bailey and Charlie tell him that Adam is a sparring robot, which means that he mirrors the other robot's fighting style. And doesn't really do any real fighting. He's just... It's meant to take a lot of damage and not hurt the other robot. Which is also a weird setup. Why does a robot need to spar? Yes. And why would... Well, I guess... No, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. Sparring is for learning. It only makes sense when they meet the later robot, which is the first of its kind. So why, why does this robot exist? Well, what Maybe I was thinking it's for is people to practice. I guess it's for the the operators to practice. Oh yeah, they're they're yeah. Work you're on. probably right. Okay, that makes more sense. Any places that would take Adam to fight are going to be even sketchier than the last underground place they were at. But Max insists on getting him a fight, and honestly, anytime Max insists on anything in this movie, he gets it, which is strange. I know because he's incapable of setting up a fight himself. 
Yeah. So he's just like, do it. Yeah. Set up a fight. He's and like, then his father does it. He's like, ugh, fine. <laughs> yeah. So then Max goes on a confusing nighttime run with Adam, and it's honestly very romantic, and I think they might get married at the end of the movie. <laughs> oh I mean, he, like, the robot picks him up, and they're, like, looking into each other's eyes, and he's like, are you scared? It's okay, I won't <laughs> tell anyone. So yeah, then we realize this is a somewhat sentient robot, and yeah. it's now this tr- child's friend. <laughs> it's bonkers. But then their friendship never goes anywhere, either. Well, yeah, and we don't need the kid to be distracted by a friendship relationship when the relationship this whole movie is supposed to be about is him and his father. We don't need him and his father and him and his friend. Like, that's too many burgeoning (laughs) relationships. It's very confusing. I I don't understand how this movie got written the way it did. Do you not? Because I could point out the screenwriter to you. (laughs) It's about to come up, and maybe you'll understand. The next morning, Bailey tells Max all about Charlie's past as a fighter. He was fast and he was good, but Charlie comes up and cuts it short because he's bitter about his old career, which is really attractive when someone's a bitter old failure. Charlie's going to Atlanta tonight to try to get a partner, a new partner, to raise money for a new robot, which would give Bailey an out. But she might be sad about it. (laughs) Their relationship yeah, she, also didn't need to be in there. Yeah, we get it. He's Hugh Jackman, so you put a love interest in for him. She's such a minor part in this. She adds nothing. You could have cut her out completely. It's absolutely, you could have. And it would have done nothing, because she doesn't help with the robot. You would think she's she owns a robot boxing gym. I really wish they'd put other robot boxers in there. It would have just filled the world out so much more. It would have. Anyway. It was so strange that it was just... Because it almost seemed like Charlie was doing charity to her. Yeah. And it's a big old gym. Yeah. With, like, a really nice rooftop apartment and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, like... Oh, a very nice apartment. Yeah, I'm like, how could you afford a place like this? Like, why aren't you doing literally anything with this? Because even if boxing as a sport didn't exist, you could still, I bet, sell boxing as a form of exercise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you could still have a functioning gym, even without other robot boxers. But... She doesn't even, you would think if you are running a robot boxing gym, even an unsuccessful one, you would be someone who fixed and programmed robots. Yeah. But she doesn't seem to do that. I mean, she can. She's the one that runs diagnostics, but they don't ever really have her doing much in that sense. She's not part of the team that's fixing this robot up and training yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. Gosh, it's so strange. Uh, well, there's a new robot in town. Zeus. Designed by a reclusive genius lured out of retirement. A very cool young Japanese man. Oh my gosh. That, the fact that you, because when you hear reclusive genius lured out of retirement, what you think is. Who's not 25. (laughs) Yeah. This team that owns Zeus was so obnoxious to me. And why? Because they were textbook uh, Russian villains. Russian and Asian. Yeah, he was more of a haughty jerk than anything else who thought he was above everything. He looked like a Japanese pop star. Yeah, he kind of, I'll be honest, he kind of looked like a combination of a Japanese Ben Whitshaw, Orlando Bloom. Yeah, who was, because I'm like, why does the uh, super minor part, by the way, neither of these two two people are important, Mm -hmm. and they they don't need specific character traits. Oh, they have and a lot yet, of them. don't you worry. <laughs> and yet, this guy 
looks like a Japanese pop star for some reason, even though he is apparently a genius mechanical designer. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive here or stereotypical any more than this movie has already done, but typically, people that are geniuses like that don't spend that much time on their hair. Mm. Even if they are somewhat attractive people to begin with. I think we'll all agree it was worth it, and he looked so cool. He was very styled, in, like, clothing-wise and hair-wise. And normally, people that are that smart and accomplished don't feel the need for all that. True. Also, can you even imagine how much money the movie spent for one shot of this guy driving away in an insane sports car? <laughs> well, true. Why? We didn't need that. It was his defining character moment. Yeah, so. I feel like it was. Back to different. Actually. <laughs> the woman is, you know, your classic sexy Russian, I don't... That's right. She, I mean, she 100% looks like a Russian model. Oh, yeah, which probably was a Russian so, model. So, also a baffling decision. Yeah. Uh, so, Farah Lemkova. The Lemkovas were, are a rich Russian father-daughter team. And Don't worry, we never see the we father. We never see the father. <laughs> He's Not probably important. old and ugly. Exactly. So no need. The designer explains that this robot constantly evolves with every fight, and so he can't lose. Bum, bum, bum. Hugh Jackman gets turned down from Anthony Mackie's place, and he doesn't want to go to worse places. But he has nowhere else to fight, so they end up going to the zoo. It's called that because it's in an abandoned zoo. <laughs> Max stays up all night trying to teach Adam to fight, which displays a basic lack of understanding of Adam's programming. But I think I'm like, oh, what if it's successful? Because he's a sentient robot. And yet it seems to pay off. I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand. And they never explain it. Oh, gosh. Because if he has become a sentient robot, then he's worth so much more than they could ever make in the robot fighting leagues. I know, and it seems to be implied that other people realize that he is, but and yet, they don't ever go into it very much. Right. Of all of the stereotypes they could have taken advantage of, there's no crazed engineer who's trying to chase after them and steal the robot away, so for his own <laughs> right? experiments. Ewan Bremer was available, guys. <laughs> I assume. So, at the zoo... Max bargains his way into a fight for Adam, and we see ridiculous caricatures of a bunch of weird lowlifes. One guy has a mohawk and a Clash t-shirt with an anarchist tattoo. That's the screenwriter, (laughs) by the way. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Because that was one of the most obnoxious characters in the whole film. I know it was. Making sense now? (laughs) Although, look up everything this guy has written. He makes his money, let me tell you. Well, he's an an Academy Award-nominated writer. I know. (laughs) So that's him. Yeah. Uh, There's a black man with long braids and goggles for some reason, because I guess we're going a little bit punk. But then the woman (laughs) is is Leonard Skinner trash with teased bleach blonde hair and an American flag bikini. (laughs) They just couldn't decide what they were like. I don't know. Make them look crazy. (laughs) Don't worry, though. That man actually needed those goggles for when he rang a bell later. He, like, puts his goggles down first, and then he, like, rings the bell. Like it's gonna spark or something in his face. Maybe that was a character choice. This guy was like, look, I'm not gonna do nothing with these goggles. So the robot he's fighting 
looks like a robot extra from Deliverance. <laughs> It's a caricature of a hillbilly robot, and I don't... It's been made out of other robot parts, and, like, I think pieces of, like, old cars. I, he, he's horrifying. I mean, he's clearly a handmade robot. Yeah, well, yes. You'd think they could get his eyes to open the same amount, but then it would look too much like a real robot. So Charlie teaches Max how to control his robot. During the fight. During the fight. Probably should have done that earlier. Yeah. I get you know what? Results speak for themselves. <laughs> they actually win. And now the tables have turned because Charlie wants to take the money and run, but Max goes for the double or nothing offer. And so this is kind of what you were saying. They immediately switch places. Yeah. The kid was cautious before and now he's not. And it's like, well, you always become friends with this robot. You'd think he'd want his well-being. Right. And I'm like, are you going to apologize to your dad for like not understanding what it's like to be in a fight mm-hmm. situation now? No, he's not. And they win that, too. And that's all it takes for a schizo to offer them another fight somewhere else. So their big ascent begins. Max keeps trying to teach Adam how to fight. And then he starts teaching him how to dance? Uh, I didn't care for this. Rose, it's because you don't like heartwarming love. Yeah, that's why. (laughs) Max shows Charlie that he put the voice recognition in Adam, which... I, you cannot convince me that a generation two of this thing, I don't even understand computers that we have now. You cannot convince me that you could have merged those two things together. Right. It would 100% be too advanced. I can't run updated soft, like I, I know. I can't run software that's a couple updates ago on new operating system. Don't tell me that a generation two robot can run the voice activation from a recent robot. Rose, uh, I have bad news for you. Mm -hmm. A generation two robot can run (laughs) voice recognition. Then I have some strongly worded letters I need to write to the people who make my computer and my software. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But Adam is not advanced enough to handle noisy boys moves, so they don't have like the combos that were programmed in there. Thank goodness, some realism. Yeah, yeah, oh, finally. Max wants Charlie to teach Adam to box. Again, they say teach all the time. I don't understand it. There is a training montage later. I don't get it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Charlie doesn't want to, but he's like, hey, but that dancing was good. You should do that in the ring. And he's like, oh, stop making fun of me. And he's like, no, really, people want to see a show. And he's right about this, like, Anybody could tell you, if you can be like the kid with a dancing robot, that's great. People will love that. Yeah, you have to be unique and special. Although I personally found the fact that a child was involved in robot boxing at all to be somewhat distasteful. The fact that he was dancing with his robot was just dumb. Well, you're not an underground boxing fan. I'm not. And I apparently no one else minded that a 10-year-old boy was running around there. It was never mentioned. No. (laughs) Uh, So... Max is like, okay, well, I'll do the dancing, but only if you teach him boxing. And Charlie agrees, although I don't know why he's so committed to the dancing that he'll do something that he didn't want to do for it. Yeah. That makes no sense. They had they had to keep him reticent about it somehow. Well, and clearly they wanted, they knew that, okay. So here's where there's a baffling bit of realism in the film. The first That place. has ignored all bits of realism first so far. Family, yeah. Yeah. They knew that the child wouldn't be able to teach the robot how to box. And yet, they still wanted to keep him involved with the... Make him necessary somehow to the robot's fights. So what they came up with is, 
he's going to dance with the robot, and that's what's going to make the robot popular. Gosh. And I was just, in my mind, yeah. very confused. That's a very good point, because otherwise it would have been just Charlie's robot. Then we get an early morning training montage. Gray sweats and everything, inspiring <laughs> music. I mean, this is Robot Rocky. Yeah. We see fight after fight, and Adam is cleaning up. He's got a big fight now, a real one. And while they're getting ready, they get invited to Zeus's suite. And we see a hilarious shot of Adam looking at himself in the mirror, pondering his robot existence. And I'm <laughs> telling you, it goes back and forth between him and the mirror like three times. It does. I was really expecting something to happen from it, and that nothing does. Nothing did! Again, you're implying that this robot understands... That he's a robot, but then you don't do anything with it. Yeah. And I cannot emphasize enough, they turn him off at the end <laughs> in order to win. Gosh. It's just real weird. Yeah. So, Lemkova offers them $200,000 for Adam, and she claims it's so that they can use him as a sparring bot for Zeus. I like the thought that they couldn't build him a perfectly good sparring bot. Yeah, I don't understand that. And actually, a robot like that, a sparring bot that just mirrored the moves wouldn't do any good because, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, actually, a sparring bot that mirrored the moves of the robot that was fighting it would actually be super dumb because... Yeah, Yeah, it would. Now that I'm actually thinking about it, what it would need to do would be to just be a defensive robot that just blocked every move, not to actually just mirror whatever you're doing, because yeah. then you would just wind up punching hands a lot. Well, and that's actually how they win at the end, is by going into super defensive mode. Oh, right, but I mean, like, but, it doesn't but, make no, sense, it, because this whole thing is the proves, shadow boxing, right, whatever. It proves your point that, like, that's how you win, yeah. and make would make the other robot better, oh or the gosh. other handler better. Hannah, I think I just discovered a flaw with this movie. I don't think you did. I think if you talked to that hillbilly mohawk wearer, you'd find there's some logic behind it. All it all makes sense. It all makes sense. Okay. So again, with this offer, we're getting another implication that this robot is a human, and I don't know, it's it's robot Jesus. I Sure. Gonna save all the robots and usher in a new era. I don't Release know. Release them from their slavery. Because I don't know why they want this robot. I genuinely don't. And they never say why. Well, I think it's supposed to imply that they're threatened by the robot. But I don't understand that either. I, I don't either. There's no way that they, with their superior programming, would realistically be threatened by a robot just because it was making progress in the, the boxing league. No, and if you really felt that threatened, you what people actually do when they have a product and they feel threatened by another product is they try to make their product better and more like that. Yeah. Which is what they would do. But, Which the robot is already like. The robot is actually already super, way more advanced than yeah, this robot. It's a learning robot. Yeah. That's what they built. That's What would actually make sense would be if they said, we would want to have like a practice fight with you, and then you could learn all the moves, and then... Yeah, exactly. You yeah. wouldn't be worried about a real fight. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Max is smart and is like, no, they want it because it's worth a lot more than that. We're not going to sell. And Charlie is mad because he wanted $200,000, which is fair. At the big fight, their opponent is a robot with two heads, which seems totally pointless. Oh, it was a bizarre choice. Yeah. It's not intimidating. It doesn't... Whatever. Well, especially because a robot needs zero heads, actually. 
That's the thing. The heads don't do anything. Yeah. What it's it's not like it had four arms. That would be yes, scary. Four arms would be way more useful. Yeah. And they're definitely the underdog here because the other robot has a team of nerds controlling it on see-through future computers. Mm. They find the small weakness the robot has and defeat him, but Max makes an enemy of Lemkova when he grabs the announcer's bike after the fight and calls her out for wanting to buy his robot and just control the sport. So I guess that is the implication that yeah. she, she just wanted to control the sport. Everyone else just finds him precocious and adorable, though. Yeah. It's so funny because the announcer you can see behind him is like, well, I, I, I can't do anything. Yeah. Well, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. grab, grab the mic back? It's impossible. Uh, he challenges Zeus to a fight, and the Japanese designer is clearly like, this is not why I came out of retirement, to get yelled at by an 11-year-old kid. But he reacts in the most immature way possible, which is basically just, like, throwing a hissy fit yeah, and storming off. he totally does. That's because, his... again, we're not supposed to like him, and therefore he can have no he, yeah, good well, qualities. Yeah, I don't understand why he can't just be a regular person. Why he, well, he also has to be bad. Yeah, why can't he just be like, that's dumb. Our robot is so much better. Like, it's not. it wouldn't even be a contest. Well, and why does the evil... Uh, Russian team need also an evil designer. He could have just been a person. I don't really, yeah, but I don't understand why the Russian team really needs to be evil at all. Like, they either one of them. Be. The fact that the robot is more advanced and better should be enough. Yeah, I know. On the walk back to the car, Kevin Durant shows up again, this time with two goons. Charlie and Max try to run away, but one of them grabs the kid, and then they do beat Charlie up and take the prize money. He traveled so far to do this. Yeah, and I think it wouldn't have, it never would have happened, except that then they started getting famous, and so then he could know where he was going to be, and yeah. that he had money again. Charlie takes Max back to his aunt and uncle early because of the attack, um, for once being responsible. Max is upset and doesn't want to go. Charlie won't take the other half of uh, Marvin's money, <clears throat> possibly because he's wearing a cravat. <laughs> Max dramatically tells Charlie that he wants what he wants is for Charlie to fight for him. It's all he's ever wanted. No, it's not. You didn't care. It's all you I didn't know or wanted. care about your father before this. It's all I ever wanted for two months. <laughs> Charlie drives away and still has the robot, but it's not going to play well that the kid isn't there anymore, especially when it comes out that it's because you signed away your parental rights. So yeah. good luck with that. Charlie goes back to Bailey and... Bailey says Charlie shouldn't give up on Max because she saw how Max felt about him. It was the same way she felt about her father. Important scene. Okay. Well, yeah. And again, when she when he comes back, he gets into bed with Bailey. And I was and like, I, she better know that that's a possibility or else this is not great. Well, I was just like, oh, they have an existing dating relationship that we that I guess they were implying through the rest of the movie, but was never told to us. They implied it a little bit. Well, a little bit, but then she kisses it, or he kisses her goodbye, when he's like, I'm going to go fight for my son, or whatever he says. And he kisses her goodbye, and she's like, you drove all this way just for a kiss? And I was like, oh, I guess you were just... Have, you just sleeping together? Like, actually just sleeping together? That and you weren't dating? This is your first kiss? It seemed like it. Before it's just been sexual tension and a quick nap? Yeah. I don't understand what's going on. Because let me tell you, if I had just been friends with someone for a long time, and then they show up in the middle of the night and get in my bed, I would have questions for them. Yeah. I, as would I. 
Not here. Yeah, I mean, even a really good friend. I'd be like, what is going on? Like, there's surely other places you could sleep. No, no, no. Nope, this is fine. Yep. Charlie shows up to Max's new house and apologizes and is willing to take him to the big dance. I mean, the big fight. (laughs) It was such a dramatic and heartfelt scene. It was very funny. They go to the big fight, and it's announced by Phil Lamar and some guy who seems to be making a very late entry bid for small-time villain (laughs) with his disbelief and dismissal of such a small-time Gen 2 robot. And this is just another example of, like, everyone has to be a caricature over the top. Like, he may as well have walked in with a monocle and been like, (laughs) what's this Gen 2 robot doing here? And it really would have been, like, over the top. Yeah, exactly. And I guess for payback... On Kevin Durand, we see him placing a $100,000 bet against Adam with Anthony Mackie, and then he ends up being a little too racist, and we didn't need that with his character, but that's what we got. Mm -hmm. The fight starts, and Adam is instantly punched to the ground, but he makes it to round two, and that's all Kevin Durand bid on, like, not even getting to round two, and so he's immediately escorted from his seat (laughs) before he can get away without paying, which he was trying to do. And it's pretty funny because instead of, like, mopping his brow, trying to get him to stop bleeding in between rounds, they're, like, welding him and putting oil on him. So during the last round, Max says they have to turn on shadow mode. And don't worry, all of this talking is going on during the fight where they're supposed to be using voice activation. Exactly. And they have to have Charlie do the boxing. And everyone in the crowd loves Adam. It's, they all want him to win. Even the crusty aunt and uncle are there cheering for him. They turn on shadow mode. Charlie's doing the boxing now. Okay, so I had many questions about how this was going to work. Because it yes. was my understanding <laughs> that the robot had to see you in order to mimic your movements. It, which, for one thing, would be such an easy strategy to beat. Because all the other side would have to do would be to maneuver the robot to where they couldn't see the person anymore. Yeah. But that actually doesn't seem to be an issue here. Mm -mm. Nope. It just seems to me he needs to do the motions, whether that's behind him, in front of him, to the side of him, and the robot will register that and mimic it. Yeah, I I don't understand how that worked at all. Yeah. But don't worry, it worked perfectly. (laughs) It did. Charlie pulls a Muhammad Ali and just goes defensive and tires out Zeus, and it's only when Zeus's power is seriously depleted that he starts to fight back. Max and Bailey watch with tears in their eyes as Charlie wins and knocks out Zeus. But the way the fight was scored, Zeus still technically wins. The crowd does not support it, and everyone knows who really won. Yeah. And this is that token, like, we wanted to make it somewhat realistic so the underdog doesn't actually win, but he won everyone's hearts. And I'm like, no, 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 no. For one thing, this movie wasn't good enough for that. (laughs) But also, I think judges in this kind of fight would be more disposed to give it to, unless they had been bribed, to just give it to the underdog because of, for one thing, the crowd, and also just expectations, like, you did so much better than expectations. Right. But also, I mean, either just have them win or lose. It was really strange because they also weren't upset about it. They didn't fight it. They, in a normal sports movie, I feel like everyone wouldn't have been like, that's okay. It's good enough. But in this one, they were like, we're still happy. 
it just lacks the courage of your convictions, you know, to be like, well, I mean, realistically, but yeah, like just if you if you want to go with realism, then just have them lose and put up a noble fight along the way. If you want to go with happy endings, just have him win and ignore whether they would have been possible or not. Yeah. This whole, like, half in and half out thing, I've gotten sick of it. They do it in sports movies more and more often, and I don't... I'm sick of it. Yep. But uh, that's the end of the movie. Adam is now being called the people's champion, and everyone's happy. Obviously, the father-son relationship was fulfilled. The romance subplot led to nothing, and the boy-robot and... The boy and robot friendship subplot led to nothing. So, yeah. Again, turned his robotness off in order to win. Also, Charlie's still going to be a super unreliable person. Oh, yeah. He hasn't changed that way. And and I think I like that they didn't show us. I like that they didn't be like, now the kid is going to go live with him. Yeah. Because realistically, now they just have a relationship and he still lives with the Anunnaki. Right. As he should. Because Charlie, the success of this whole people's champion thing will not last that long, realistically. And Charlie's already shown he's not capable of capitalizing on good things that come his way. So, he's gonna soon be a disaster once again. What would have actually been the happiest ending would be if they'd shown him helping Evangeline Lily fix up her gym and start training other robot boxers, because that would have been a reliable and responsible source of money. Yeah, exactly. But, But probably not. No one asked us yet again so kind of a happy ending in the short term i guess we'll see everyone was happy then yeah i i just honestly i can't believe this movie got made well and it did really well well so it the budget was 110 million dollars and the box office was 300 million dollars so it made its money back Mm mm-hmm not enough for a sequel. Right. Most likely. I mean, I suppose there could be a sequel, but that seems extraordinarily seems a unlikely. Late, ten years later. And, yeah, and it didn't make very much in North America. Yeah. It made $85 million in North America. So, most of its money was made overseas. And this is the type of movie that does better overseas, because it's more about the spectacle. But I was actually kind of surprised that there wasn't more spectacle in it. That the robot boxing wasn't better yeah i think i was expecting something more like um transformers not well transformers or um speed racer Uh uh-huh that was a good because speed racer was all about the spectacle yeah but it was a good spectacle exactly did a good job so they played to their strong suit yeah and this seemed to promise spectacle and just not deliver any of it so it didn't sell me on a future of robot boxing no and it they really did it backwards. I get why they had they started out in underground boxing and then they went up to legitimate boxing, but the boxing got more boring. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Boring action, hated all the characters, dumb story. So, a real winner. <laughs> yeah, so everyone and, check it out. Which is funny because the reviews didn't pan it as much as I would have expected them to. They really didn't. People liked it. Yeah, a lot of them said it's not great, but it's fine. I I don't think it was fine, even. It just was really, really bad. I mean, I guess it wasn't painful to watch, but it wasn't good on any level. I think it's solid for, like, a kid's movie. I do think young boys would probably enjoy it. Yeah, and it's totally wholesome. Like, you're not even seeing real people get hit... 
the one time that someone hits another person, it's a villain. Like, it's... There's nothing bad in it. The most... Honestly, the most troubling thing that happens is the fight in the beginning with the bull, and it's a CGI bull, and kids wouldn't care about that. Because they would see the bull's completely fine. Exactly. It walked away and it won. Yeah. And they don't think about, oh, the robot was supposed to kill the bull. Anyway, next up, we will be continuing our Resident Evil series. Ooh. Since we've had such a long break. With Resident Evil Afterlife. That's the fourth one. Nice. We're back to being directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, so we know we're in good hands. Oh, of course we are. So that's what's next on More is More. For more of our podcast, go to moreismorepodcast.com. To contact us, email at moreismorepodcast at gmail.com.